0: So, uh, this episode of the pod is sponsored by Bobby Valentine's Cigar Emporium and Smokers Lounge. Serving every tobacco need in the tri-state area and beyond since 2009, Bobby has the widest variety of smoking products along with the service and ambiance that can only be provided by the former New York Mets manager. Bobby's has not closed amid any coronavirus concerns, so feel free to escape your wife and kids in our Smokers Lounge, which we can confirm is moderately clean most of the time. If you don't have the time to post up in our lounge, we also have our 24-7 drive through service, which provides pre-lit Black and Milds, Dutch Masters, and Backwoods whenever you need your nicotine buzz. For those who would prefer to social distance or whatever, we encourage you to take advantage of our web store where you can find our entire inventory. So please be sure to hit up Bobby Valentine's Smokers Lounge and Cigar net. The Reader's Digest called it more outdated than Windows Vista, as well as jarring on the eyes. Look, we understand times are weird right now, but is there anyone you would rather buy a cigar from than the guy who was almost named the United States Ambassador to Japan by Donald Trump? So the next time you have that hankering, say what the rest of us say, I'm going to Bobby's. That's not good, I'm disappointed in myself. Or odd, odd. You're frozen as hell. I mean, surely. Sure. I don't love Carrick. I just, I like listening to him talk. Mine didn't come until this morning, but I want to give big ups to, I've already forgotten his name.
1: Odd and That's not a word.
0: So, uh, the bitch ho. This guy Matt, because his name is Matt. What the hell is going on?
1: So, uh, welcome to the podcast, episode three, Connor Weingarten, Matt Hornick quarantined in different parts of the northeast this is a podcast we talk about uh the last dance the latest episodes three and four came out this weekend we'll get into a little bachelor later in the show some other things we want to jump into as well but matt we're going to jump around a lot in this podcast kind of like episode three and four jumped around right. timeline is off. this episode i feel three like that's a good odd? starting point yeah we're counting the trailer i am anyway
0: Oh okay even though even though that that actual episode will never ever be revealed to anybody
1: yeah, so like in Apple Podcast terms, this is Podcast Episode Three, but it's really Episode Two.
0: Okay. How are you? I'm all right. It's Care to Tuesday. Understand? It's Tuesday afternoon, sun shining. I'm inside. I got a truly, not a sponsor. Is there plug. a walk?
1: Is there a walk in the cards later?
0: Uh eh, who knows? I went out earlier. Ran, ran an errand. Might be a shower later. Maybe some push-ups. I don't know. Hmm.
1: Yeah, you got pretty good form. Did, Thanks. You, did you have top line takeaways from episode three and four? It felt like you get a little bit into the weeds here. Some Rodman, some Phil Jackson.
0: Loved. Love. you want to start with this? Loved the Rodman. I mean, I did think it jumped around a little bit. It rode the line of being too much. Like I thought it was close, but I, I, I kept along, I think. Like I, I have a clean narrative in my head. Maybe I wasn't paying attention correctly, but yeah, I think I, it was clear enough for me. I mean, did you struggle with it at all?
1: I think there were just certain points. There were points where they give you, like, they literally give you the December 1989 or 92, and they, they tell you where they're going. But I think there were certain points where it's, like, uh, Rodman, like, one point Rodman's on the Pistons, and then the next thing it's, like, the Bulls get their three-peat. And, like, yeah, that's, it's, sometimes it's, like, a quick shot, but it's, like, if you're us and you weren't alive for it, it's a little confusing at times. Sure. So I thought that was, like, a good impetus for us to, to bounce around because the documentary bounces around. But I, overall, I think it's digestible. we we can figure it out for the most part
0: which of Rodman's piercings did you find the most egregious
1: well Captain Hornick uh, because I mean he's got the most egregious
0: because he's so we're talking so we got nose he's got the double nostril give me some he's got the nostril on both sides he's got the lip right in the middle bottom lip and then he's got the bigger one uh, one ear
1: are there any investigations about pelvic tattoos I feel like he's got other stuff
0: I feel like you – did you go there because of Tiger King? Is that just where – is that where your mind goes for these things now? That,
1: my mind has been there a little too much, yeah. Not going to lie.
0: Uh, but, yeah, I think – well, he's a big fan of those those rings with the ball on them. That's what all his piercings are. And I could be wrong about this, but I feel like at some point there was also a septum piercing in addition to everything we've seen now.
1: Septum is what, a different part of the, the nose?
0: The middle no- part of the nose. He has yeah, both so he nostrils. looks
1: looked like a, like a ball at some point. What was your most egregious? I'm going to say a tie between nose and lips like are both just non-starters for me. I used, there was a time in my life when I was like, you remember when it was cool that people had like just their left ear pierced? You remember? Was it age? a
0: specific ear that was cooler than the other? I just remember it being one was a thing.
1: I don't know. I feel like it was early 2000s and I was like, yeah, maybe when I'm older, I'll get it.
0: I thought that too. I pierced. thought I was going to get an earring when I was like 10. I thought it was the coolest thing.
1: Nose and lips is just no. Can't do that. So I'd say those are tied for my most egregious...
0: The nose one's separately, not bad. I feel like we each know a bajillion people with one nose ring. The The lip in the middle is is pretty bad, but I feel like it's not appreciated enough how fucking huge that one earring is and how much it, like, how low it hung. And that weirded me out a little a, bit. It
1: wasn't a gauge, right?
0: I think he might have gauges, but it wasn't currently a gauge. Or the actual rig he has in his ear is so heavy that it just stretches.
1: Hmm, just Going Pretty back gnarly. to my nine year old my nine year old self like looking at people's earrings and stuff. A gauge was something I knew I would never want to be within twelve feet of. Like we're talk we talk about a social distancing these days. Keep me the hell away from gauges. Like if I see one I get a little upset I think.
0: Have you ever seen a nose gauge? People have those.
1: I I think I've tried to forget it if I ever did
0: it's probably you, good do you know anyone personally who has one a nose gauge yeah no hmm. regular gauge yes what did you
1: say so what what, what is your most egregious I think it's the ear one because I one? just
0: didn't like how low it hung
1: okay he had some weird hairstyle
0: too I love the hairstyles my favorite was probably the cheetah print like that was aggressive as hell and I loved it the tiger stripes were also dope
1: yeah something about the multicolored up top that I kind of liked the blonde was kind of just like, for as like if you were to categorize his different types of crazy hair, I feel like the blonde was like his classy, his classy look compared to the others.
0: Sure, it's like it's like a gum sole on a sneaker.
1: I, I kind of like the rainbow stuff he had going on.
0: I like the rainbow. I also like the green and black one that looked like this one colorway of the Nike Air Foam Posit, which I really like. It's like the green with like it's just sort of like scattered green hats. He
1: had funny hats too.
0: Oh, the hats were ridiculous. I'm out on the hats. The hats were like Jason Mraz's hat.
1: True. We'll get to Mraz later in the episode because he's a uh, special judge host on Bachelor Listen to Your Heart. also discovered that he has the nickname. And and listeners, tell me if I'm wrong. uh, Tweet at us, at Connor Wine, at MN Hornick. Had you ever heard of Jason Mraz's nickname as Mr. A to Z? Because I sure had not.
0: I definitely don't think it's a thing. And... I don't think it's particularly clever on Chris Harrison's part either, but we're going to roast Chris Harrison later as well. I Connor did last week, I did not, but I'm I'm I got some words for Chris now. Murat is also with one of the biggest burns of the episode, but again, for later.
1: For later. Plenty of burns to be had with Dennis Rodman. So other than did you have anything else on like his his style and the culture and like there's so much stuff with him like this I mean, Doc well, gets into it. There's a little family background, and then you get the timeline of him being on the Pistons. This great defender. He helps the Pistons get, you know, they win what two championships? Yeah, two in a row. Yeah, so he's he's there defending, rebounding, does all this great stuff. Gets traded to the Spurs. That's where he seems to get a little weird. Dates Madonna, and then at some point the Bulls bring him in. But what was your what were your favorite parts of learning the Rodman story?
0: Well, I love that it seems like Madonna was the one that allowed him to let his peacock fly, so to speak, like let he, let his style really come out. And that's when he started going crazy, which I got, which is cool. But I mean, I just want, can we just get into this uh, mid-season vacation? Like, Sure. Like tell, that's, tell the people about it. I, so Rodman, so when Scotty Pippen comes back from his injury a few months into the season, after deciding that he was going to wait until the season started to get surgery because he didn't want to fuck his summer up.
1: this is January 1998 for the listeners because the timeline is confusing sometimes.
0: So when Scotty's back healthy, Rodman's like, look, I want a vacation, which is not how being a professional athlete works at all. But uh, Phil was like, all right, I can give you 48 hours. And Rodman's like, all right. And so we get that shot of Rodman dressed like a full legit biker on his motorcycle, like riding away from the practice facility, apparently gets on a plane right to Vegas and meets up with his soon-to-be wife, Carmen Electra.
1: And right before he hops on the bike, he downs a Miller Lite.
0: Oh, yeah. All this stuff just put together, it's like,
1: none of of this would fly.
0: Um, I loved Biker Rodman, though. And no, um, but also, this is something that could only exist in uh, a pre-cell phone, pre-internet era. Because, like, if you went to Vegas and partied it up in the middle of an NBA season and you're Dennis Rodman, and there's Twitter around. That doesn't no, yeah, you're done.
1: The way the way Phil Jackson kinda dealt with Rodman was interesting to me too, because there is this point where he's like, you know what, this guy, like Phil is a little quirky. You get stories on his background as well. His parents are a pastor and a minister and he, he does acid. in Puerto Rico. He does acid, yeah. He grows up he he does a lot of different things. So he likes to give Rodman his room to kind of be himself because Phil understands that he's at his best when he's himself. And they have Scotty back so they figure they give Dennis Rodman a couple days to I don't know I don't know what the phrase
0: is I'm looking for here.
1: Not let it loose, I guess in Vegas. And uh he he sure did. He let loose.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, going off of letting loose. How much uh how much coke and other drugs do you think were not shown but are had to be like edited out of the footage or just there's shots of of things we can't show?
1: Yeah, quite a bit. And I was actually curious about that when watching cuz I don't believe the footage was related to the documentary like I, I wonder where all the footage came from like if any of that was tmz stuff or if rodman had his own crew I
0: what if know. they sent the camera crew to vegas with Rodman? what if that was one of the like agreements of his 48 hour vacation
1: yeah because there's a couple shots of rodman and carmen electra and some other famous person who i can't place but just them hanging being in clubs and dancing I, I, i'd and love the, that De- dennis
0: dennis is like i want the vacation phil all right we get it it's fine but you have to let one of the camera guys come with you. That camera guy's probably seen some things. Yeah. And then I love when Jordan, so as we, uh, Jordan then apparently comes to the locker room or to the hotel room, excuse me, to get Rodman. It sounds like he actually went to Vegas to get this man personally.
1: Yeah. And this is like another, another era thing. Go ahead. I was going to say
0: Jordan had a great quote where he just goes, I'm not going to say what was in his bed or where he was. I'm just. And there was, twit, there was a
1: good tweet. There was a good tweet. Now a good bit. Like people edited this together on Twitter, and it was like they showed that Michael Jordan clip, and then the very next quote is Carmen Electra saying she was there, and like the the caption is like, "Michael Jordan, I wasn't gonna ask who was in that bed. Carmen Electra, it was me." <laughs> like they just go back and forth. But the idea of Jordan going to Vegas to get Rodman, come on. Like imagine LeBron James going to get Chris Bosh or something. In 2013, not that Chris Paulish would be that guy, but
0: no, it would have been him getting Jr. in 2016. Jr.
1: Yeah, trying to, co- or maybe he wouldn't go get Jr. because then they could have won the finals. But that's another story. But trying to compare any of this to modern stuff is hilarious. Like trying to put other characters
0: in these shoes. I mean, you could never, because again, like the, the, the social media thing has changed everything in that way. Like you could again, like I said, you could never get away with it. But it's just so funny, because I mean, imagine here's the closest thing we've ever had come to it. Is the fucking Giants players on that goddamn boat? That one time, all the wide receivers.
1: I guess, but that was like a team. That was like a team bonding thing.
0: Yeah, bonded them right out, right to a playoff loss.
1: Yeah, well, those Packers were overrated anyway. Odell, tough. He's on my dynasty team though. We need him to. We need him to come back strong. Rodman, so we got some Rodman stuff. He comes back from Vegas. I also thought the Pippin stuff was interesting. That's another thing that there wasn't as much of him because he was so covered in episode two. But the idea that he continued to sit out amidst a trade request. And then they, just, they get this incredible footage where they knock on his hotel. Speaking of hotel rooms, uh, hotel rooms, another MVP of this episode. But the camera guys knock on his hotel room and they basically hop into his room and he's like, you know what, I'm ready. I think I'm ready to play. Like this has all been played out, dragged out. They're obviously not going to trade me. So I might as well come back. And I just thought that like from a documentary filmmaking standpoint to have that footage was crazy because that's like, I don't know, that's like an exclusive type interview and it's just like something they happened to be able to get. And it was, I don't know, made the doc so much more impressive, deep, credible. I don't know. It added, it added a bunch for me.
0: What did you think of uh, that footage of Phil on the Knicks? NBA Phil.
1: Uh, I liked it. I, I mean, I just think he's, like, such a character. And for us, you get caught up in, oh, Phil Jackson, like, what an idiot. He was supposed to save the Knicks, like, a couple years ago. You forget that after all this, he goes to the Lakers and wins five more times. We don't forget, but some people do. Um, and I, honestly, like, the stuff with Phil that's most impressive to me, I did like the old footage, that shot of him in the car, which is, like, overlaid when they're talking about him tripping on acid. Oh, yeah, that was great. People have, People, I think, are going to put that picture on T-shirts now.
0: But the stuff with
1: him just, like, being able to convince Michael Jordan of, of his ways. Because Michael Jordan, this comes up a lot, too. There's some Doug Collins early on because Doug Collins was the coach there from, I want to say, 85 to 89 or 86 to 89. But Doug Collins is there, and Michael Jordan loves Doug Collins. And then Jerry Krause brings in Phil as an assistant, pairs him with Tex Winter. This is where the triangle is born. And at first they get rid of Collins because the triangle, Krause is all in on it, Tex Winter's all in on it. So they get rid of Collins, they think it'll make their offense better, they think it'll unlock Scottie Pippen, but MJ at first is like, I'm not playing for no Phil Jackson. And then for Phil to be able to just keep at it, show him this offense, show him that he doesn't need the ball in his hands all this time, that is a credit to Phil Jackson and something that, I don't know, needs to be brought up. Because I think we get, we get so caught up in, off oh, Phil... He, he ruined the Knicks because that's the modern thing you think of. But the 11 titles is not, it's not just because he had all these great players. There's, he has to work with egos, and it was impressive then. It was impressive with Kobe and continues to impress me.
0: I have my mix. I like to purport the, the take that Phil Jackson's only a, a good coach because he coached good players. Not because I necessarily believe it, but because it's fun.
1: You can I mean, you, you have to mention it. It's like you have a thing with MJ in context. Coming up with like his moments being preserved without context, yeah, you have to, you have to have the context of who Phil Jackson had on his teams. But I, I think the way he dealt with some of these guys was impressive, and I think that aged pretty well because honestly, today's coaches, like you're looking for a guy who's going to put up with a superstar. Like the Brooklyn Nets are looking for a new coach right now, and and the candidates you see at the top are like Ty Lue because Kyrie Irving liked him in Cleveland, not because he's some basketball wizard, but it's like who's going to cater the offense toward this guy, and Phil didn't even do that. That's why it was more impressive to me.
0: Because Jordan, I think, had to realize eventually that, like, they're not winning with him scoring 40 a game and no one else doing anything in the playoffs. He understood he needed pieces, which is the the evolution from thinking you could do it yourself to all these stars demanding pieces.
1: And if you, we jumped, like, the documentary jumps a lot, but if we jump to 91, which is when they finally do get over the hump and they beat the Lakers... There's a lot made in the documentary about Paxson and a, like Jordan starts to look for Paxson um kind of in the setup of this triangle but some of it's more just he's being double teamed late. But yeah, that's another thing where Phil is telling him in the huddle, "Paxson's open. If you don't have the shot, hit Paxson." And then he does and they start to win some games. I think they overplayed that a little bit. Like they made that the moment where Jordan started to realize he should pass, but I think he averaged like 11 assists a game that series. But there I mean there are moments like that where he you can at least see he understands. Like, there there are those moments.
0: I, I I agree. I think part of that is also, like, would he pass to the guys in the big moment? Because, like, it, like, it's one thing to pass to Paxson for an open three in, like, the second quarter. It's another thing to pass to Paxson for an open three with 10 seconds left in the game. But I agree. Steve Kerr has one of those moments, like, five years after that, in, like, 97 or so, so six years after that. He has right. a big moment where he hits a, a shot where he's like, Michael, I'll be open because they're going to double you. And he, they feed him. Uh, I'd love John Paxson. I love all Jordan's role players.
1: And it is kind of fun to see how he embraces them and starts to trust them a little bit more because there are certain points where he's like, I forget the line, but it was like either Scotty or, I think Rodman like fouled out one game and like an important game, maybe before they broke through, maybe 88, 89. And Jordan's like, damn Dennis, you left me out here with all these scrubs. But like at some point he needs those scrubs.
0: Oh yeah, true. I forget
1: the exact line. Yeah, but there were like, there were funny comparisons there to LeBron and like, because people do the LeBron MJ thing, obviously, but like Jordan had Pippen and LeBron had Delonte West and Anderson Varejo. So there were like some funny comparisons there, but I think Jordan starting to embrace his teammates was like a nice development.
0: Could you imagine like someone having that reaction nowadays to like, so Rodman had to like take on extra work as like the number two guy now with, with Pippen gone for the beginning of that season? And then immediately, like, Pippen comes back and his immediate reaction is not like, thank God we can finally get back to doing real winning basketball. He's like, fuck, I want a vacation. Like, imagine that reaction. Like, who, who, like that doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess he, he puts so much into it that he says, all right, we got this Hall of Famer back. Maybe I can chill out a little bit. And part of it's probably like, Dude, fuck Scottie Pippen. Like, he's just sitting out because he wants to be traded and we're out here busting our butts.
0: Also, there's Yeah, addiction. I'm going to go to
1: Vegas for a couple nights that turns into four nights.
0: It's also addiction that might play into the fact that Tennis Robin was like literally an alcoholic.
1: True. And, you know, they probably gave him a break. I think there's, there's not some domestic violence stuff too? But they're, they're not going to into that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, so he had problems, but... Yeah,
0: Tennis Rodman was like sipping a kamikaze while working out that one shot. Or he, he, I think so. He mentions that he was sipping a kamikaze, and I'm like, all right, do you, man. Lift your 200 pounds while doing that. That's, inc- that's impressive. With Phil... I mean, my I don't know that with that Knicks footage that my dad, like, or rather, my dad always told me that like Nick didn't get or Phil didn't get that much playing time on the Knicks, and that like his main job was like at the end of the game like guard the inbounds pass because his arms were so long.
1: Yeah, and they mentioned they mentioned like connecting him to Rodman that he was kind of that kind of player. He was just a hound on defense, was a, like a bit of, of a force in the paint, and that's kind of why he related to Rodman. But yeah, so it was cool to see some of that footage and. See where Phil Jackson came from, because he was, uh, let's just say, well-traveled.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I love his uh, pre-NBA coaching destinations. Puerto Rico, Albany.
1: Oh, yeah, Albany Patroons.
0: Had you heard of the Albany Patroons?
1: Absolutely. I I don't think I ever went to a game. Um, So I live, I'm from a town called Niskayuna, which is in the Albany area. They call it the capital region here. But the Patroons were like a semi-professional team. My former gym teacher, who was also my golf coach, he was—he did like a little semi-pro coaching back in the day. He was an assistant for the Patroons um, when they had Jamario Moon. So if Some of you NBA heads maybe have heard of him. I love Jamario Moon. Yeah, he played for the Heat for a little bit. Maybe Memphis. I forget all the teams. Raptors. But the Patroons have like a slew of white guys turned really great NBA coaches that rolled through there. Just to list a few. Um, you know Phil Jackson already. Scott Brooks went through there, Rick Carlisle, George Carl, all these guys either played or coached for the Albany Patroons. So that was cool to see, and I think it is, like, it is funny. Sometimes coaches now, like, get so much criticism, um, like, particularly in college football, but in basketball as well, where it's like, wow, this guy makes $9 million. Like, all he does is coach basketball. Most of these guys, maybe not most, a good chunk of these guys started in, like, junior colleges or Division Two, or high school. Like a guy like John Beeline, who was just fired from the Cavs, like he was at really low level, Division Three schools, coached at LeMoyne before he was able to get to Michigan and, and all these other places. And for Phil in the, what was it, the 70s, he goes to Albany and he goes to Puerto Rico, and he's like coaching these games. Talk about incredible footage. The footage they the have of this stuff
0: are, was fantastic. Oh,
1: Forget forget the '98 footage following MJ's team around. Just we need a separate doc for Phil Puerto Rico.
0: I just want uh, the whole Puerto Rican basketball league. Like, come on. There's
1: like there's like things lit on fire. There's violence during and after the games. I mean, what a what a molding Puerto experience Rico in the '80s could
0: not have been that pleasant of a place.
1: But he made it out, and somehow the guy's name's Jim Stack, who's the assistant GM for the Bulls. I don't know where. I think he discovers Phil
0: once he's in Albany. Yeah, because he was in Puerto Rico first, and then he wins the championship with the Patroons.
1: Right, and he wants to bring him to the Bulls, and and then Krause is like, I don't know about this guy, but then he pairs him with Tex Winter, and then it takes off from there. But the footage of Phil like rolling into the job, looking like a hippie, I think that's how Krause described him. They had to teach him how to dress,
0: and he did the rest. Phil kind of a, a Bill Walton character in that way.
1: Yeah. Bill Walton, yeah, absolutely. They, I mean, they would have gone to dead concerts together. I bet. Did your dad tell you other things about Phil Jackson in the seventies? You were mentioned like that's where.
0: Not really, because he wasn't like that. Integ he wasn't like that big of a part on the, of those. You were Knicks about to teams. say
1: integral. Side note for the listeners: I love the way Hornick says integral, and I've heard people say it that way more often lately. And I usually say integral. Maybe we'll put that on a poll or something, or a mailbag. I don't know.
0: Like he was like the eighth or ninth man on the team, so it's not like he saw that much run. In the first place, he was like back. He was like backing up Dave DeBusschere, who's a legend. One of my favorite clips of all time is Dave DeBusschere when he was the GM of the Knicks in nineteen eighty five for the first uh, NBA lottery, and the Knicks get the first pick. He get, he gets so excited; it's so funny, and I just love eighty suits. It's a great clip.
1: Did you have any takes on uh, Doug Collins? Because I re- I loved his his role in this episode. Because I had forgotten he was even the coach there. I did
0: not know he coached there either.
1: Because I love him as, like, I really liked him on NBA Countdown. I like him as a h- analyst. But to see him, like, be this guy with the the mullet and kind of be, like, like, actually coached MJ pretty hard to the point where Jordan really respected him and loved him. A lot of that is because Collins is like, here's the ball for 40 minutes. Go score. But I really liked him. He had that quote. Um, we talked a little bit off air about how many good quotes there were in this episode particularly. But there was a post-game quote that was like, what was your strategy there? And he said something like, give the ball to MJ, get the fuck out of the way. And I was like, that's the coach I'd want if I was Michael Jordan.
0: Yeah, uh, I didn't have a ton of Doug Collins takes. Like, I, I thought he was interesting. That was like about it. Like, I thought it was... I All right, it fine. Was, I'll,
1: uh, I'll just uh, live on my Doug Collins
0: island here. Like, I thought it was cool. Like, he's a good coach, clearly. I mean, very. I didn't realize he was been coaching that long because I remember him as like the coach of the Sixers like seven years ago. Was that seven right. years ago?
1: Yeah, his son's Chris Collins played at Duke a little bit. I think he's the Northwestern coach now, but his hair was pretty
0: funny. His hair was great. I enjoyed his hair guys, a lot.
1: Guys had funny hair.
0: He uh, Doug Collins was the first overall pick in the NBA draft. Is that so? Yeah. I and the f-
1: other thing that was kind of kind of cool was the drama between Collins and Winter and Phil Jackson that ends up getting Collins fired. Yeah. Like he was so fed up with Winter's triangle that what he kicked. That's him something off the I've or never something.
0: heard of before. Is like. Like, I don't want to call it like a revolt or a coup or anything, but like this uprising of the assistant coach in such a way because he's being backed by the GM so much. I've never heard that before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, there, there are definitely examples that I'm not thinking of, but like the GM wanting to play a different way and then bringing in his own guy and then forcing the, I don't know, didn't it happen to, to Tony a couple times. I don't know. I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough studying before
0: this. I mean there's like all there's like all those like obviously like assistants get promoted and stuff, but like this is this felt different. This felt like like they brought in a guy to like change how the head coach coaches and that just seems a little weird. Just fire the head coach.
1: The behind the scenes pettiness continues to be one of my favorite parts of all this. Because a lot of it I guess it still happens today, but it's it's so different. Like they were so open about it and it was it was out in the open, everyone knew about it. Doug Collins says, Screw you, you're not sitting on the bench anymore. And then by the end of it, he's he's screwed. He's out of a job. So I like the I like the drama stuff, the petty stuff.
0: It's it's amazing how like openly petty they could be. Well, it, actually, I guess it's not that open because it feel it it feels open to us, but like I guess no one really knew. Did people know these things back then?
1: Maybe it is. I mean, maybe it is just reporters like talking about it and all these books that were read.
0: Yeah, I guess it's one of those things that it's like they didn't have a Twitter to like just sort of like slide all these extra details in. Where I feel like if they did.
1: Yeah, true. They only had so many, like, you know, this being a newspaper guy, like you have what, six inches to write your column and you can only fit so many details.
0: Yeah. I don't really, fun fact, like my editors throw around the term, like make it this long in inches. And I've never, no one's ever explained to me what that really means.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's so much online now.
0: Yeah. Like I was always in, in word count, but like, so I don't know. I mean, I, I've written a story. I like I, 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 when when you when we upload a story into our system, you measure it so it shows you how many inches it is when it's done. But I don't I've never I haven't yet have uh, been able to convert. So that you in just my head. write
1: you write it and then you worry about the. the length I have a general word after. count
0: that I'm supposed to hit, I guess, in my head. But like that's more than like inches because I don't. If someone says inches, I have to like ask somebody else how many words that would be.
1: Hmm. And there's a book that actually comes up a couple times in this, um, the Jordan Rules, which. Was that the Sam Smith one or the Halberstam? I don't actually remember. I don't know. Okay, but it's about... I mean, it's about more than just the Jordan rules. Like, I had ambiguously known what Jordan rules were, but to just hear them, like, come out and say, like, okay, if Jordan gets into the paint, we're going to mess him up. Did you know, like, how deep this went and what the basis of it was?
0: Kind of. But, like, I mean, I guess I understand. Like, if you, it's kind of the ultimate tip of the cap. Obviously, it sucks if you're Jordan because you're getting fucked up, but... Like, they, they're that afraid of you that they're not even going to try to play actual defense because they know they can't. So he's going to hurt Yeah, literally you.
1: the premise was, like, if, if Jordan takes off, we're done. So, like, if he jumps off the court, we're screwed. It
0: yeah. was Bounty Gate without, like, the actual money at the other, other end. It was just do it.
1: You think there's anything like that in the modern game? Not no. even just, like, the physicality, but the way people play? Like, I feel like there's... You could make the case there's, like, Curry rules, but they're, they're in a much lighter way like the way people were physical with curry is nowhere near the physicality there to mj back in the day but i think relatively like at least in like 15 16 17 like peak 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 curry like there was there was initiative to push him around to make him uncomfortable sure but i don't know if it went so far as like to write a book about it
0: i'd say certainly not i'd say it's a chapter in like the warriors three-point revolution book maybe maybe not even a chapter like a, a section of a chapter
1: are there ever days when you're daydreaming where you're like, you wish LeBron James could like would deal with this stuff, like would have to deal with this stuff? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I think like have like like really just get the shit beat out of him. I mean, I feel he's... like it would make him. I feel like it would make him more, like almost more dominant. You know what I mean? I don't know.
0: If he if he like played in the '80s and was like allowed to play, I mean, he would.
1: Yeah, like, I wonder if the perspective would be different.
0: He's so much stronger than everybody. He would, I feel like he would handle it so well that it wouldn't even, it, you wouldn't even be able to notice as, as much.
1: Yeah, I just feel like there's a different, like, LeBron's floor is, like, second best player of all time, so it's, it's just, like, we're picking nits here, but I think some people, some people still think he's kind of soft, and, like, it would be, it would be, I don't know what the word is exactly clarifying like good supporting stuff to just to see him deal with the stuff Jordan had to deal with and like overcome it because I'm yeah I'm with you I think he absolutely would but I think there's this, this impression of him that did not exist in the 80s and early 90s where LeBron gets pushed around a little bit it's him like with his hands up looking like at a sad face with the refs and there's multiple instances where Detroit mentions like yeah we were doing this stuff and the refs didn't care if you're Michael Jordan they're not they're not bailing out Michael Jordan because he's the best player they don't need him to win and I think there's, like, a different viewpoint on how superstars are viewed in their interactions with the refs now. I think there is, like, the sure. refs are like, crap, we got to let LeBron get his 20 free throws. We got to let Harden get his 20. Like, that stuff happens.
0: I agree. But also, I've heard one thing that I think is really interesting is NBA players have said, I forget who I heard say this, but um, might have been Chris Bosh. It was in an interview where they're talking about, like, before he played with LeBron, he's like, God, does this guy get every call? And then when he became LeBron's teammate, he was like, this guy can't get a call to save his life. Like, so it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, I guess, I mean, obviously it's skewed. It's at its most skewed when you're in those two viewpoints. But I feel like that proves the fact that LeBron definitely takes his fair beating.
1: Of course he does. Yeah, th- there's no doubt about it. Like in the course of a 48-minute game, he's, yeah, he's getting beat up. It's different. It's not as explicit. You can't throw guys to the ground. Because every time you throw someone to the ground, now it's like a, a review, like for a flagrant and stuff, which is good. That's that's a good rule, but yeah, it's just different. And I, like that stuff, whenever you watch the Bad Boys Pistons or that era, it is like a little. It's cool. Like I'm glad the game is the way it is now, but I think it's a nice flashback to be like, all right, to watch some tough guys and see how the Jordan handled it as the best player. He handled it pretty well.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I will always be a proponent for. Uh, less like, fight fight less fighting, more technical skill. Sure. And I think like a, a, a great like example of that, where things are moving very differently, is, or not differently, but similarly and faster, is hockey. Because like that, like the enforcers being phased out so quickly now, and like that sport for a while was just so fucking violent. I mean, it's a violent sport, but obviously, but having like every forward or like everybody all your lines of players having like actual technical skill is being much more valued than it ever has in the past but back to things we actually know about i covered hockey for like seven months and now i like to think that i know about it but i don't
1: you love hockey you know everything about it you can name four guys on the oilers can i that's a challenge i don't know Connor mcdavid
0: I actually hadn't hit, I had been thinking, I'd been
1: scrambling. Ryan, uh, Ryan O something. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I had I had a fantasy hockey team a couple years back. Pretty good one. I think I was sub 500.
0: Which of Jordan's peak moments did you think was the coolest? Or like his, his highlight moments?
1: You know what, actually I like that we didn't mention it all yet. And this is going to be a cop out. But just like the three, I think it was like a several minute montage early on in episode three, where you just saw Jordan with some like awesome music underneath for a few minutes. That that was great to me, but I mean, like the Cleveland shot in Game Five is is awesome because like that image for me, I didn't I didn't put that image with that game. Like I didn't I didn't know it was Cavs. I didn't know it was like an early round series. I was just kind of like, oh, clutch Jordan here he is again. But Craig ELO gets all the shit for being the guy who has to guard Jordan there. I forget who the Cavs coach was at the time, but he puts ELO on him instead of Ron Harper, which brings us one of the best quotes of the episode as well. Ron Harper just goes, <laughs> I'll boil it down. He goes. Whatever, fuck this bullshit. That was about Harper wanting to guard MJ. Yeah. And then MJ MJ blanketed by Elo, catches at, at the right elbow, just right of the free throw line, takes this long step, creates a little separation, but he's leaning left. The former radio guy in me is trying to give you this imagery, but he's leaning left, makes this tough shot, and then he jumps and does the fist pump. So that's probably it. But I really enjoyed like just the montage early on, because the more just like average Jordan you can get, which is amazing, I'll take all that.
0: Uh Yeah, and there are two, two for me, so two other ones, along with the shot of Nilo. There's another shot from that series. This one is is one of these moments that sort of immortalized my childhood because my grandmother bought me this DVD when I was like five or six. It's called The NBA's 100 Greatest Plays, and it's ten sections of ten plays. One of the sections is, I think it's steals is this one. And Jordan's the only player with a play in every section, by the way. Of course. But, uh... He has this one, it's against the Cavs in that series where he steal, steals a pass, uh, has to jump out of bounds to save it, and then tosses it to another teammate. He runs back in bounds, catches the pass, and then does like a crazy like reverse layup. And so that's one of those moments that was also in that series and is just sort of etched in my mind as an iconic Jordan moment. So that one was really cool to see and have some context, which is what I'm trying to get into in a sec. But the other one in, um in the 91 finals when they win their first championship he does he has that shot against the lakers it's it's one of his big ones where he has he has the ball in his right hand and he's soaring through the air and then does the up and under transfers the ball to his left hand and finishes that one's so sick and i didn't know that was in the nba finals which makes it so much cooler
1: yeah i think the honorable mentions are like yeah before you get into your your context thing the honorable mentions are like the backing down where he would just he would just spin fade away and put it so easily off the glass on those like 10 foot jumpers and then the ones where he would just drive in the rim, turn around, take contact, and flip it up and, like, get fouled and make it. Like, he did that probably ten times Yeah. throughout uh, the course of this doc. So he probably did it a hundred times, really.
0: Yeah, so for one of those th- things that I just wanted to ask you about is I feel like all these Jordan moments, like the three that I'm... All, all the things we've mentioned are very well preserved. It's like we, we know the footage, we've seen the footage, but the context doesn't live on with it as well. Why do you think that is? Because, like, I knew that, like, the shot on ELO was against the Cavs in the playoffs, but I always forget that it's, like, the last game of the series. Like, I I, I knew it was, like, I... The, and, like, I didn't know that, like, the up-and-under shot was against the Lakers in the, in the finals. Like, I feel like these moments live on, but not with as much importance as they should.
1: Part of it, I think, is just, like, how much of a historian you are with this stuff. Like, I... Having not lived in that era, it's different for me. Like, I just see all the highlights, and you know that Jordan won six championships... So when you're putting a highlight reel together for Michael Jordan and you're showing the best of the best, like I, th- I think you just understand like, okay, this was probably in a big moment because if you get to the finals six times, and it's they don't have the reputation of like LeBron where they just rip through the East every time you get to the finals. You understand there's going to be a lot of elimination games in there, a lot of big moments, and for me it's just like I, I never even think to be like, okay, when was this game? Other than like, the Jazz. Uh, what is that, the flu game in 97-98? Maybe the biggest one of this whole documentary where he makes the the left elbow jumper to beat the Jazz. Like, that's one where I'm like, okay, I know when that is. That's a, like a clincher or almost clincher in the finals of one of their last big seasons. But yeah, the rest, I, I don't know. They all blend together for me. I guess when you see Magic, like in the Lakers, you kind of know, okay, this is like when this was. Um, maybe the 63-point game against Bird, you know. But for me, it's just like, my history doesn't go to like, I know exactly what game it was because I wasn't there and I, I haven't researched it that closely.
0: I guess part is it is just that when you have like such a resume the way Jordan does, like it's hard to like be able to pinpoint every single moment of greatness.
1: Right. There are guys like lesser stars, like Ray Allen, you're like you, especially being a Spurs fan, like Ray Allen, that corner three, game six against the Spurs, everyone knows when that was because you know, that's missed a layup on the possession that, before. Mike Miller that's the that signature moment to, of Ray Allen's career, correct? Yes. So Michael Jordan's signature moment is a long, long, long list. So that's that's kind of where it differs. And I, I think certain players you know, and you can put exactly. And part of that is we were alive. So if you are 60 years old, 50 years old, and a big basketball fan, you may have context for every one of those. But I think a lot of that is just a separation of eras and how we view things. I think that's how we'll view. Like there's going to be plenty of LeBron moments Kobe Bryant moments Curry Like stuff like That we will remember When it was I think
0: Do you have anything else On On the dance I have Three small things
1: Go Yeah Go on yours And then I'll close out With mine
0: Okay yeah I was I was pumped to finally Get some Judd Bushler I feel like I've been Talking about Judd Bushler On this podcast a lot Or more than Judd Bushler is being Talked about in any other Podcast that discusses this But I, I I'm happy he finally We finally got some Interviews of him but going off of that, where's Tony Kukoc? I just, I would like some Tony Kukoc.
1: Yeah, there's a little Coach like in episode one and two, but Is no there? interviews.
0: I, I mean interviews. Well, I want interviews. Mention of him. Yeah, no interviews. I no. want interviews.
1: Yeah, because he's part of the reason they um, they can't pay Scottie Pippen because there's like an extra million that Jerry Krause wants to save for when Tony Kukoc comes overseas. But yeah, hopefully we get some of him. But I, I don't know. I don't know how much we will.
0: Along with that, I love the shot of Jack Nicholson wish, uh, congratulating Jordan on winning the championship when they beat the Lakers in the first, in 91. But that was just a cool shot, and I love Jack Nicholson as that Lakers fan.
1: And literally in the same, same sequence, there's a shot that's like an all-timer now. that I, I didn't really, I'd seen the picture before, but like, again, getting the context of it, Jordan winning that finals, that's his first championship in 91 against the Lakers. The hug with Magic Johnson and the trophy, that's like legendary. True. So that that stands out for me. And the other thing that's kind of like a film, like a film high five for the, the directors, I don't know, knuckle, I'm doing a knuckle touch on the FaceTime with Hornick right now. But like the iPad and the iPhone stuff with the interviews, I think continues to be great. And it's like unique. Um,
0: oh, where they hand the guy like the, the interview? Yes. Like here's Jordan talking about this. Yeah, so part of it they did,
1: they had MJ talking about, Dennis Rodman taking the vacation and they have Phil and they have Pippen and all these guys watching MJ talk about that and you get to see their immediate reaction um so that's good and then you also get the visceral stuff between Isaiah Thomas and MJ where MJ watches Isaiah Thomas his interview from recently about 86 and not shaking hands so like it's just a little technique that I think enhances it so much and I haven't seen it done so it it just it gets you more authentic MJ for another four minutes or whatever
0: and I guess my last thing was I enjoyed there was one great shot of Jordan in the infrared Jordan six uh during the ninety one finals that I was I appreciated greatly.
1: Even I had one shoe shot I liked. I think it was the what did I tell you before we got on? 12? You said it was the
0: thirteens. But it might have been the twelves and I there was a shot of the Jordan twelves which made me unhappy. Again. Sorry people who like the Jordan twelve, but you're just you're you're incorrect. Continue.
1: Yeah, shoe people can tell us what was what actually was cool. But yeah, I liked those. That's that's a good chunk of last dance for us here on this. This could be a longer episode. I kind of like it.
0: Whom's to say?
1: Okay, this can uh, be where you put in the... the Yeah, we're going to
0: pay the bills right now with uh, our friends at throwingthingsfar.com.
1: Hello, this is Aaron Rodgers. I'm with throwthingsfar.com. Not to be confused with the Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers. Do you need something that's to be thrown far? Maybe 50 to 70 yards? Maybe it's shaped like a football? Call throwthingsfar.com, even though that's a website. Ask for Aaron, and I'll get the job done. Uh, I'm not associated with the Packers again.
0: and not worried about my career. And, uh, okay, all about, all, you know, all about looking forward here. All right, uh, back to the pod with Matt and Connor.
1: Okay, 40, 42 minutes on the the MJ doc, episode three and four. Let's jump into Batchwork because that was last night. That's even more fresh on our minds. A little more uh, love triangle stuff for him this week, but also love square. Music performances, fun judges. I was into this episode for the most part. What'd you think?
0: I was in, and then they started singing for real, and I was out—not fully out, but like that's when it lost me. Like that's when I got. That's when the I started playing a lot of Minesweeper on my phone.
1: Minesweeper. Wow,
0: talk about yeah. a quarantine activity. I've been I've been on the the phone Minesweeper grind for the better part of two years now.
1: Any any pinball wizard?
0: No. But I do I do I do cherish all of those old PC games.
1: They're good. I mean I used to have Minesweeper when like when we'd have internet problems. Like, alright, I'll go go play on Minesweeper. Don't need it for that. But yeah, you didn't like the musical performances? We diverge here because I'm the opposite. I'm
0: not a huge like music competition show guy, so that's why I wasn't fully in on this show in the first place. So no, I'm more here for the, the drama and the nonsense than I am for that part. But that the best part about that are the judges. The judges make me laugh so hard. Because you have to find a way to like judge love, and that's really weird. JoJo yeah, went at it, with, it. JoJo went at it with gusto. The judges, for those who may not know, were JoJo and Jordan Rogers, Kesha, and Jason Mraz. Did you know that's what Kesha looked like? Yes.
1: See, I I just don't know anything about Kesha. That's my takeaway from the last two episodes. I
0: lo- I've I established I, I love Kesha. I, her, her, she looked rather stoned, and just her faces, her facial expressions were hilarious. She, was just, she seemed very puzzled by the whole experience. But I couldn't
1: get a read on how she was feeling, which maybe was better TV.
0: If you were, like, Kesha or Jason Mraz, like, you just got offered the bag to, to do this. Like, that's the easiest money, like, ever.
1: Yeah, and it was funny the way the producers edited it, because they would show the music, and then they'd cut to Mraz's face, or Kesha's face, or Jordan and JoJo. And most of the time I was like, I don't know if, they're, if that's a good thing that their face looks like that or if it's bad. I don't know. Like, there were a couple times, I guess, when they, like, gritted their teeth and, you know, that emoji where you grit your teeth. Sure. So that's uh, – they probably weren't happy with the performances at that point. But the judging, like, the connection thing was weird. It was so funny. Because they had to decide who, who, who were good singers and then who was, like, in a real relationship. Because people knew I each thought, other for, like, two weeks.
0: I thought it was hysterical. Like, you have to, like, somehow talk about that. It's just, like – Unless there were the obvious ones like Danny and Becca, where it's like he went in for the, he made the move and she didn't reciprocate, and that's just an L.
1: Yeah, that was that was a tough look all around.
0: Yeah, I wrote down for that performance. I wrote Becca and Danny. Yikes! 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 And I think I wrote yikes maybe twenty five, thirty times.
1: They didn't mesh. They they also botched "Ho which is like, of of like a very favorite song of mine. I love that. Were song. Were there people saying
0: "Ho in the background at all during the song?
1: I don't think so. But also, they that's, like they, went a, they di- went a different way with the um, with the tune, which sometimes is like a cool thing. But I don't know that song. Just play it how it's supposed to be played, and I don't know if you're late, If you don't have the connection, that's bad. But they could have at least done the music right, and I would think they were the worst worst musical performance as I ranked them on my list.
0: Well, they, that's probably why they went home. The fact, along with the fact that they just didn't vibe, they had that random date, something that I'd like to address. There are a couple characters, three of them, in fact. They all are off the show now who had these very quick zero to a 100, then right back to zero character arcs, starting with Gabe. Yeah, I wrote in the notes, Gabe hardly knew you. Gabe doesn't say a word for the first two episodes. doesn't make a sound. It's just there. And then uh, realizes, as Chris Harrison hits him with the hardest ultimatum, you must be in a real relationship to stay on the show, that he has you know, one angle, and it's not with Ru- Ruby.
1: You know who Gabe is? Gabe's the um, the Simpsons gif, where the guy walks in, Puts his hat down, takes his hat back on, and out oh, the door. Oh, yeah. Homer's dad. That's Gabe.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But I do need to say, like, keeping this into, in, like, the Bachelor Nation, the Bachelor World kind of thing, Gabe was refreshing to me because on Bachelor, there's a. Well, of how yeah, genuine but, he was? Well, because he leaves. Because, like, on, on Bachelor in Paradise, they have this similar setup, minus the music, where you have to be coupled or else you leave the beach. But they also have a thing where people give each other roses just to, like, stick around. They do, like, a friendship rose. That's, like, kind of what they call it. That's the lingo. Um, I'll be releasing my bachelor thesaurus at a later date. But Gabe doesn't do that. He's, like, what's the, I don't know the girl's name. Ruby? She has pink hair? Is that it? Yeah, he's, like... Yeah, Ruby. He's just honest with her. He's, like, yeah, I don't think we're going to, like, fall in love. So, he pieces. I think there's plenty of other people who would, like, you know, who would go in for a kiss or... Say likewise or some weird shit to try and have a fake have a fake relationship <laughs> with her, and I appreciate that he didn't do that. Ryan hasn't
0: said likewise to her.
1: Yeah, but Ryan did something weirder this time. That I, I, should I touch on it now or later? I don't know. Uh,
0: you can touch on it later, but I don't even know what you are talking about. My thing with Gabe, I thought it was so legendary. I thought it was just so legendary the fact that Gabe was like that honest with himself and the show was just like, you know what, this is, this didn't play out for me. I am gonna take my L and keep going.
1: And honestly, like the odds that. I don't know how many people they started with, like, 20 or something. Like, the odds that all of them are going to actually like each other a lot doesn't really, like, compute. Yeah, of course. So most of them are kind of faking it, you know? They really are.
0: Absolutely. Which is why uh, I think that transitions well in the fact that I've... Uh, I, will, I will preview this now. I ranked... All twelve remaining contestants from who's there for the most genuine to least genuine reasons. I know genuine's like a taboo bachelor word.
1: It's better than saying right reasons. That's their that's their main tag.
0: Yeah, because uh, obviously, like there are people who who come off as very invested in the actual process of the show, which always makes me laugh. Because what the hell do you think's gonna happen to you here?
1: Right. That was the Peter Weber was the all time.
0: All time. All time.
1: All time gets the show.
0: And then there's people who are clearly not doing that. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that ranking later, along with Connor's ranking of the musical performances. Did you have anything else on Gabe? We could You could get to that list quick. Oh, yeah. Do your thing. No, I like I liked Gabe. Quick crossover question between uh, this show and the fact that the NFL draft started last Thursday, or Friday. Oh, where Thursday. are we going with this? Uh, Jordan Rogers, one of the judges, was a, a brother of NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers, a strange brother. They don't like each other very much, as Aaron Rodgers' relationship with his family is questionable, as we all know. Sure. The Packers, Aaron Rodgers' team, took a Jordan Love, another quarterback, in the first round of the draft. Maybe his heir apparent. Uh, How pumped do you think Jordan Rodgers was that Jordan Love was drafted by the Packers?
1: You know, I didn't even think about the name that, or the fact that the guy's name was Jordan. So maybe he's doubly pumped. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch JoJo's season of Bachelorette. But from all accounts, like they're like they get to hometowns, I think, and Aaron Rodgers is not there, and like they make a point to note that he does not have a good relationship with the rest of the family. And to be honest, like everything we know about Aaron Rodgers, nothing screams like like that'd be a fun guy to hang out with. Like you could say a lot of things about him, but I don't I've never met a person who's like, "Oh man, Aaron Rodgers seems like a great guy." Like I don't know that person. Maybe like the Levitard show who has him on every so often to talk Game of Thrones, but like I'm out on Aaron Rodgers as a dude. So I'm with Jordan in this scenario.
0: But so you th- you think he was stoked and you're okay with
1: that? I don't know. I, that's kind of, you yeah, know, it's a li- it's a little speculative. Even though all we're doing here is speculating for hours and hours, uh, I would say he was like it was one of those like silent fist pumps that you can't see right now because this is a podcast. But do a little silent fist pump yourself. You know that little kid who does the gif, not the baby giant on Twitter, but the, the fist pump kid. And this has gone <laughs> too about long. That kid? But this is what Can this we... is what we're doing. Can we talk
0: about that kid? <laughs> That I don't know, do, do you have ridiculous. thoughts on <laughs> the
1: giant baby? He looks like he was he was born of, um, do you know Zydrunas Zavikis, former world champion weightlifter?
0: I can't say that I do. There
1: used to be a thing on ESPN2 a lot, <laughs> in the summers on afternoons, called World's Strongest Man, and there was a guy who was either from, he was one of those Baltic countries like Russia or Serbia or something, his name was Zydrunas Zavikis. And that could be—I would say—that could be his child or his grandchild, because this kid's what, like three foot ten, like pushing four feet.
0: <laughs> I feel like he gets bigger every time I see a new clip.
1: Stack like five bowling balls on top of each other. That's the guy. But I don't know how old he is. I haven't seen it anywhere.
0: <laughs> I don't even
1: care. I don't enjoy the Twitter takes. They make fun of a baby. That's kind of where I'll—that's kind of where I'll leave that. I think we gotta get we gotta get more creative. Oh, just a quick aside because we didn't bring this up in the last segment, and this relates to having to get more creative on Twitter. This is just, this will just be so quick. You gotta skip thirty seconds if you don't want to hear a rant about uh, Bill Simmons podcast. But the Simmons and Rosillo had a take this week that Dennis Rodman wasn't interesting, and yeah, you know, that's one of those things where I just felt like they were zagging to zag, and that's where I think like in the quarantine, we just have not enough actual things to have takes about. So you have to be like, that's not interesting. And maybe they actually don't think he's interesting, but I just needed to to get that out because the idea that Dennis Rodman isn't interesting, and I once had an 11th grade English teacher who said interesting was a nothing word to begin with. But if any if anyone's interesting, it's Rodman.
0: I just don't know how you can't be uh, intrigued by the fact that the guy literally went on a vacation in the middle of the season to Vegas for 48 hours and t- t- was hanging out with Carmen Electra and probably doing ungodly amounts of cocaine. like
1: yeah. Just to put a bow like, on it, I think like they... That's compelling. Their 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 little take was like, it was it was played out. They thought he got too much coverage in the doc and they already, like they were huge, they're huge NBA fans, obviously. Simmons literally wrote the book on basketball. So they know everything that happened ever in the history of the game. So maybe they, you know, I don't know. But the doc's not for them. So, end of rant. Jordan, what were you talking about? Jordan Rod? Oh, Big Baby. Not Glenn Davis.
0: Uh, I think we should get back on track to listen to your heart. Go for it. You were gonna rank the uh, least genuine. Let's go to the let's go to our Love Square. I enjoy the, I enjoyed the Love Square this week. The Love Square was interesting. Julia came out hot. Julia came out very came hot. Came in hot? What's the phrase? She brought it. She brought a whole lot of th- lot. What are you doing?
1: I was giving you the go ahead, like nice like nice zinger.
0: Thanks. To what we're, so
1: you're uh, you're probably not Team Julia on this, although I don't really want to take anyone's team between Julia, Savannah, I and Brandon.
0: I I'm on Team Sheridan. There's only one team to play for here.
1: That's true. See, I'm just so sure. I'm so sure Sheridan's gonna be gone. That's a tongue twister. Because maybe someone else will like fall in love with him. Maybe we'll get a little wild card action. I don't know. I don't know. But Julia's not going. Eh, I don't know. Go ahead.
0: Well, Julia's whole thing is like, well, first I think we start with Brandon because this dude's kind of ridiculous. Uh, so when Chris Harrison drops that line, drops the news at the beginning of the episode that you can't, that they can't, or they have to couple up now, Brandon's face is like, bro, what? I can't play the field anymore? Like, he was, he was begone.
1: He's not a, not a quick decision guy. Let's put it that way.
0: No. And then he's like still trying to figure it out. And apparently Savannah had no idea he was that close with Julia. I had a quote written down somewhere.
1: Hornick scanning the Google Doc.
0: I have two Google Docs and it's I didn't organize them very well. Yeah,
1: Brandon had a line that stuck out to me like
0: It was when it was after Savannah and Julia figure out that they're both kind of vying for Brandon and Savannah had no idea. Savannah's all sad and Brandon comes up to her to talk and is like, Wanna talk about it? Right? that was a terrible tone, but just the way he said it was I'm onto you, Brandon. Like that was it was so fake, I feel like he didn't know what he was doing. He's come off as very unaware this whole time.
1: And the line that he pulls out of his back pocket, like when she's crying, he's like, "He's—I guess technically, he's saying that he chooses her at that moment." But he's like, "So, want to do this, or are you just going to go home and cry?" That's what he pulls out, and she goes for it. I don't know. She's clearly not going for it as we head into the next episode because there's just more teasing of Julia and Savannah butting heads, and I don't know. There's going to be there's going to be a, a three way confrontation there, but he's going to have to make up his mind.
0: What's so annoying about it is like Julia's trying to be all high and mighty, saying that uh, Savannah and Brandon are fake as hell, but she is literally just doing the exact same thing to Sheridan, while Sheridan is just completely enthralled with this woman.
1: And if she didn't have him, she'd be gone. She'd be she's, gone. she's lucky she just has him, who's like willing to put up with her stuff for right now. Yeah, they do. They are pretty good as like a singing couple, but it's tough.
0: You can't coach that persistence.
1: No. I mean, I guess when you look at him, like, that's his choice too. He doesn't have any other options. That's the tough thing about this show is it's like you just got to find one person and latch on. Hope they like you a little bit or you can fake it on a stage and convince Jordan Rodgers that you're really in love. What a a television show.
0: (laughs) And there was one point, I think it was when Julia and Sheridan were practicing, where Julia has just a fat glass of wine, like near the rim.
1: I think it was water. I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: But it was wine. It was red.
1: You know, we're gonna like make this. This is gonna be one of our clips that we put on Twitter as a video, and we're gonna find the picture, so we can we can figure it out for once. I think it was water.
0: I think it was wine. But it wouldn't
1: surprise me if it was wine, because you know she's she's under a lot of duress.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't think any any of those four are long for the show.
1: Yeah, none of them. Sheridan feels the most genuine, which I think needs needs to jump to your list. He's at the top of it, right?
0: Yeah, I was gonna say Sheridan. Is, as I've it, it comes in at number twelve, uh, the most genuine person remaining on the show. He's in the first tier along with numbers eleven and ten, Chris and Bree, for obvious reasons because they're a couple. They found each other.
1: Chris and Bree are the ones in paradise that like they get together like week one, and then you don't hear from them because they're not interesting, but they're like successful. They're like the um, what are those people's names? Hannah G and Dylan, who I've made a U turn on. I don't like them anymore. But that's like that's the comparison for me. They just, like, coupled up. They're, they're good singers. They get along. She, I think she, like, her performance was a little, I don't know. It was a little more performative than the other ones. Chris and Bray? Which I was kind of out on. Yeah. Like, I think, they, I think they were solid, but the performances I liked the best, not to jump into your list, basically were the ones where they performed the least. And they were kind of just, like, with each other, singing, doing the thing. The ones that had the least dancing and moving were my favorite.
0: Back to my list. In the next bracket, next uh, region of the bracket of the list, Miss Tear, words are just not coming. One truly will do that to you. Again, not a plug. I, this, I, this one I named the Drama Might Be Hyped region. Uh, number nine is Jamie. She didn't come on the show for singing fame. She can barely get out of her own bedroom to sing.
1: Yeah, she. I feel like she's coming. She's coming off well. I don't think the stage fright thing was fake. That seems like it was real to me.
0: It is, but she's also that girl. I said this to you before we started recording. She's also that girl who um. Studied the most for the test, but tells you that she failed it afterwards only to get the best grade in the class.
1: Okay. Yeah, we all know that, we all know that person. And I hate
0: those people. Uh, number eight's Rudy. Rudy's a little dramatic, but she's she's doing it. She's there for... And I think she likes Matt. Number seven is Savannah. Savannah seems kind of confused. I think she's there for... Love, kind of. I, might, I, I feel like that one's a bit of a, a wrong take on my part.
1: She's hard to read.
0: Yeah. I think she's more in the right than Julia... But obviously not as in the and not as in the wrong as Brandon.
1: I guess it's it people, depends people on what you there. it depends on what you think of the PDA stuff, because
0: that's like what started
1: to set Julia off was Savannah and Brandon, going around like being all over each other and singing and stuff. And like I like my take is a lot of that was just the the camera people were capturing that and that that's how they decided to put it together to make it look worse. I bet you it wasn't that bad. Yeah, because I I probably I, wasn't. I, I take their side a little more than Julia's. I think.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's hard to ever side with the aggressor in any sort of bachelor type drama,
1: right? Because they're usually just stirring stuff up, and you you that's what yeah. you hate that for Sheridan because he's just in the background while she could be hanging out with she's him just, and just she's, a good guy. just thinking about the army, bro. Uh,
0: the next tier is called IDK because it's just one couple, and I don't know what to do with them. And it's Natasha and Ryan. Yeah, it was kind of more eye opening this episode. Hella talented. Hella talented. That girl can sing it.
1: My initial take on her has, was completely wrong. I thought she was just there to drop the T on like the ex boyfriend thing with Trevor, and then that, she was going to be out of there. But she's—that's she, not but,
0: true. You said maybe she can really sing. You said that that may, maybe that's the case, and well, I think you kind of hit it on the hit the nail on the head because she sings. Uh, she sings very well. Her and Ryan are like not exactly like I don't know. It looks good sometimes. It looks not as good other times. I don't know.
1: I don't keep track of my takes well at all. That's, you know, in the take business, that's something you want to do or you'll end up on cold takes. I would say she, I would say she's the best singer. That's my, it's like subjective.
0: I think she fucking killed
1: it. I think she's like, like if we were just to rank who's the best performer, I think she was really
0: good. She seems seasoned.
1: I don't, I don't think they are like a thing though. I don't think they will be a thing. They might force it and they'll come in like third on the show.
0: That's why they're four and five.
1: But she could have a career after this. Like she's really good. Sure. The, and the, the move by Ryan I wanted to note, because maybe I'll just have a move of the week by Ryan that I don't like as the show goes on. The first couple episodes, was this episode two or three? Three, right? Three. First couple episodes, like, girls would be like, I think you're really cute. And he would say, likewise. And I was like, "Ah, eh, that's kind of weird. Like, I'm kind of out on that. This one, he's at the piano playing uh, the intro to Rihanna, Stay. You know, like, it goes, I want you to stay. And I'll be on the show next season, in case you're wondering. But she comes over to sit with him at the piano, and he, like, he doesn't go over for a kiss. It's like he, like, smells her. And he did it twice. So if you want to go back and watch it, he, like, he like puts his nose towards her. Doesn't, nothing happens. But it was it was a little weird. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was my Ryan takeaway. He was doing, like, he reminds me of John Mayer. Like, he does. I don't know if it's a bit he does or if he actually sounds like him. But my take on them was she's awesome. They went for like the sexy performance. It was like a little uncomfortable, if you ask me. But they'll be around. They'll be a top three team, I think.
0: Final tier, top three. This is the this is the delusional delusional region of the of, of the list. Number three, Julia. Julia, not necessarily a bad person, just caught up in some shit.
1: A lot going on in her brain.
0: Yeah, she, this is a lot to process. And she I did, she that. did.
1: She performed pretty well, though. She held it together.
0: Yeah, I know. Her and Sheridan have good on-stage chemistry. They just—they can she flip just a Fuck with him like that. Whoa. What? Number okay. two on on the list uh, is Trevor because I just don't fuck with that guy.
1: I do like—I like the fact that he like—I don't know. Made Jamie feel comfortable, but yeah, he'll have to prove himself more. Right now, he's just the—he was on American Idol, so that gives him a tough start. He feels like the guy who's just on the reality show to get good at music. But I don't know. They, I, I yeah. think I think they seem to like each other a little bit. But it might be just, like, when they have a really good performance, you know, that's, like, the peak of your, like, love for the other person. So I think it's hard to maintain that.
0: And then topping off the list is Brandon, because fuck that guy.
1: Yeah, might be an all right guy. I don't think he's that good of a singer. He'd be my bottom tier of singers, I think.
0: I think it's a different type of voice. He's not like the, the like, the, like generically like talented singer but i, I like his voice I think it's yeah you cool.
1: might be right i have a negative bias maybe towards that because i don't like country music that much
0: yes i don't like things that are particularly different
1: all right just uh lay out all my shit on the podcast Hornick. why don't you
0: now that's episode 17 17
1: okay so we've teased nine and 17 so we have to make it to 17 episodes
0: and then you can roast me on some other episode in, in response to me shitting all over your life hopefully it happens
1: so I mentioned before my list because Hornick did his rankings. I wanted to rank the musical performances, and I mentioned before my favorite ones were the ones with the least like performative stuff, the least like running around, getting the crowd involved. Because I didn't, I don't know, I didn't really care about that. So I had Tide for first. I had Matt and Rudy. They went first on the show. Um, I had them, and I had Jamie and Trevor. And that was my. They were both one A for me because they kind of just were with each other. I liked the songs. They were good. It all looked good. Um, one beat.
0: Jason Mraz hit Matt with one of the most critical, like one of the like biggest uh, digs I've ever heard. Really? Like one of those subtle, just like a subtle shot of like a nice. Well, cause next to Natasha, I think Rudy might be the other contender for most talented. Okay. She fucking killed it. And uh,
1: oh, he was like she Mraz carried hits, you or
0: something. And Mraz was just like Matt. You just did a good job of holding it down.
1: Noted critic of this podcast, Brendan Savage, claims that Hornick puts this podcast on his back, which is probably true. But we're saying uh, so. we're saying Rudy puts Matt. All right. Well, to Mister A to Z, Jason Mraz has that.
0: That was just like Matt. You did an incredible job of giving Rudy the ball and getting out of the way.
1: Yeah, that's that was that's a good way to put it. So I had Matt and Rudy, Jamie and Trevor tied at one A, one B. I just wrote Natasha. No diss to Ryan, but that was, like, how I felt about it. I liked it. Like, piano was important. He was good at that. But there was a whole band. I don't know. Natasha was great, so I give them one B. Then I had Chris and Bree and Julia and Sheridan tied for second. And then I had Savannah and Brandon, 2A, and I didn't write down Danny and Becca because, you know, they did a lot of things I uh, didn't enjoy. They botched Hohe and they didn't really like each other that much, so
0: that's hard. They'll be fine. Danny's hair, a lot of volume. He'll be all right. What's he's a celebrity impersonator? You've mentioned that again now, and I still haven't confirmed that. Is that true?
1: I think that's something impersonator is what it says as his bio.
0: Well, luckily I do have it open. So Danny, singer, songwriter, Sherman Oaks. That's his genre. He does have over a million followers online. It says million Uh, musical impersonations.
1: Okay. All right. I was close. That's like me with like play by play broadcasting. Like I'm not really good with my own voice. But if someone could just let me do like let me call a game as Kevin Harlan, like if we kidnap Kevin Harlan and then I do a game, I could I could you know I could make it work. We might we probably have to edit this out. I think I impersonated. I feel
0: like you lost your window because that guy just got hired at Barstool for doing all the impersonations that he does, like coward stuff.
1: That's true. That guy peaked at the boyfriend thing. That's my take. Um, you have anything else on this show on Bachelor? I feel like next oh, no. next week's conflict is just going to be the same as this week. But I like that there's more performances coming. I think that, that gives a second thing to look forward to in the show. It'll bring in more fans, I think. Or keep more Maybe. fans. I don't know.
0: Do you want to talk about the NFL draft or straight to big ups? Straight to big ups. Okay, yeah, I didn't have anything on the draft. Do you want to go first? I'll go first. My big ups is to Barber's. Uh, I, I can't overstate how badly. I just want to get a fucking haircut. Uh, and I can't do that. What's your go-to
1: cut? you like a 4 into a 3?
0: I'm a 3. Three on the sides, kind of fade it. Uh, short up top, not too short. I don't have. i I feel like I'm a pain in the ass when I go to the barber. Part of why this is also a big ups to barbers, because like I said, I want to get a haircut. I'm about a month away from just buzzing my shit.
1: Yeah, that is so true. Like when I when I was a kid, here's the story. Like we, we had a, we have a local barbershop. Oh your hair is looking good for all the podcast listeners who who can't see it. But when I was I'll a kid, a we photo. went to we went to a barbershop called Ed's Barbershop, and like we, I have four brothers. And my dad would take us, and it would be like, they would know. They would just know the deal. Like, we got our first haircuts there, and we still go there. And, like, when we were kids, they would literally, I think our parents would be like, give them all, like, a little boy's cut. And I don't know. They knew what that meant. So, like, through high school, I
0: would just go, and they would, that's like. So- I like how that sounded. Well, that's what, that's what they called
1: it. And so I'd go, and, and they would they'd know what to do. And now, like, when I went to college or when other places, I don't know. I would ask my friends, like, what do you tell them? My one brother, Jack, is really into his hair, so he would have instructions. But sometime in the last couple of years, I started saying three on the sides, scissors on top. Like, and I would say the same thing, like short, but not too short. And I don't know, just hope that they know what I'm yeah. talking about.
0: Yeah, I just really want to get a haircut. I might, bu- I might shave my head kind of soon. Not like full like shave, but like just take my like clippers and just go at it because I'm getting sick of this. And I just want to say thanks to all the hair people out there. With your scissors and your barbicide. Thank you for what you do, and uh, I hope you look forward to all the business you'll be getting when this when this is over. All right,
1: my big ups is uh, my big ups is in you know it's poor strategy as a new podcast to continue to promote other podcasts. It's kind of what we keep doing, but uh, Dan Lebitard and his his radio show is like it's it it is my favorite. It's not like I say like too much. It's my favorite, and there was a New York Post story that came out yesterday by a noted Ithaca College alum Andrew Marchand
0: guy got the scoop. We are up. also noted Ithaca College alums, for those who cared.
1: Quick reminder. Um yeah, he's got the scoop on all this sports media stuff. And there's like gonna be a shake up kinda soon because Will Cain is probably leaving for Fox News. First reported by Michael McCarthy. Fox News? Yeah, Fox News slash Fox Nation. It's under the same umbrella. But he um yeah, Hornick didn't know this,
0: I guess. Michael McCarthy of Fox I didn't read the article. I didn't I didn't want I don't I'm not into like pursuing bad news. Like you told me about it yesterday and I wasn't gonna look into it.
1: Michael McCarthy of frontofficesports.com reported it, like, two and a half weeks ago. And then Marshan noted it in his article. But the gist of this is, Will Kane's going to leave Levitard's contract, I think has, like, a year left on it. But there's talk that the uh, VP of programming, guy named Norby Williamson, doesn't think Lebetard like, fits in with the rest of the programming. So they might move on from the show. And uh, That's the... Oh, so Hornet's just learning about this. Good.
0: Well, like, I, again, I didn't read it. I didn't, I don't, I don't, I'm not in the mood in, in this era of Corona to pursue more bad news. And Connor's a Levitard guy, and Connor got me in the Levitard. I'm, I'm still new to it. I'm in six months of it or so, but it's fucking fantastic. And if saying it's different is why it's bad, then not to just steal their literal line, but you don't get the show.
1: Right. And the idea that, like, you take out that show, which has such a loyal audience at this point, and like my capital thing, L loyal. My thing is, it's really hard to draw people to Daily Radio now. Like it has, especially sports talk, just because there's so much of it, and there are podcasts and other places people can get that stuff. If you have a huge audience that's going to listen to Lebatard, and maybe it's not huge, I'm probably overstating it. I mean, the guys. They're in the char- one podcast. The guys, they are. The guys in charge of programming like have a better idea of what does well radio wise and ads and all that stuff. But they're they're a unique show that is not on any other network. And if you take away Lebatard and you put in, like, I like Jason Fitz, and Mike Greenberg is, like, talented, but, like, the rest of those kind of shows are cookie-cutter, sports talk. You know what you're getting. You can get that other places. So I, I think their show's so unique. To get rid of Levitard would be a huge mistake, and I'm giving big ups to that show because it's a big part of my daily routine, and they make they make stuff more enjoyable, and I love listening to them. And I think they'd be fine somewhere else, but it might it might be hard to have that whole feeling and that whole cast of characters, I don't know that they would all survive and go to another place, so my big ups is to the Lebitard show.
0: I would be I wouldn't handle it very well if they just up and left like that. I think that like the, the work that they do and the content they put out is just so so much better than most of the other stuff ESPN does. What's the bigger problem that ESPN doesn't keep its best stuff, or that ESPN isn't able to keep its best stuff or doesn't think they're able to keep its best stuff? Because the general public doesn't appreciate its best stuff. I was going to say, I'm just, that's what I'm getting into, is High Noon. Yeah. Is High Noon, we lost High Noon, which is another fantastic show. And obviously, like, part of it has to be ratings related.
1: Part of it was, yeah.
0: So, like, if people aren't watching High Noon, that's the problem.
1: Right. It's hard to convince your audience of something. Like, Levitard, they have been doing this for a long time, so they built a following starting in Miami, and then you get they get this national presence. I think Bomani and Pablo, it's a little different. Like Lebator, the whole sh- the whole thing is they're they're making fun of they're making fun of sports talk, and that's their show. Like occasionally they they are very serious and they have things to say, and other times they are they have a spin on sports news that is entirely unique. And the word unique gets used too much, but that show is unique. Um, and Pablo and it's a little different because I think people just look at them; they're not quite as established. They look at them as these young intellectuals talking down to you, and you know that is an aspect of that. And like, when you have someone like Stu Gotts, like, that's not an issue on the Levitard show. So I think that is a little different. And that's a real problem, trying to convince people to watch Pablo and Bomani. I don't think Levitard has that same problem. I think that's more like, a, at least the way the article, the column that Marchand wrote, it's more of like a Williamson VP of programming guy, more like a preference of his and a direction he wants the network to go. Which you've seen with Pitaro a little bit. Levitard got in trouble for some political stuff, but I don't know. It'd be a bad move. There's there's a lot you could dive into on
0: that but we I think it'd be like a it. really bad move. Like obviously like like what is what happens to Stu if that show goes away?
1: I don't know. I mean, I like his podcast. that's what I'm more concerned about. Like I was doing all these different scenarios in my head where like, okay, does Bill Simmons with all his new Spotify money. Dan will be fine no matter what. Stu will be fine. He makes like 2 million dollars or something absurd. It's cuz there was talk that they would still keep the podcast and he might Levitard still might do the highly questionable and that kind of stuff. But I was looking at these scenarios, like, like does Levitard have enough money saved where he would pay all of these guys in the shipping container to come to the show? Like, like what's Mike Ryan going to do, who's the the executive producer of it?
0: I think Mike Ryan will be fine. He has other stuff going on. He's smart, talented.
1: Yeah, so maybe the other
0: behind-the-scenes guys. but not, not that Roy, Billy, and Chris Cody are not smart and talented. Of course they
1: are. The issue would just be, like, fans of the show are going to be watching the show wherever it goes. So ESPN's just losing yeah, eyeballs sure. and viewers for... Three hours every single day. So I don't. I don't know. We'll see what they do. Maybe there's enough reaction to this that they don't do it. Maybe it was just a rumor that wasn't that well sourced. Um, but Marshan's usually pretty honest game on this stuff. So I don't know.
0: We'll see. And la- my last thing is have a little respect for someone who's brought you so much, like the Levitard and Friends network of just people. Like he brought ESPN with Sarah Spain, Mina Kimes.
1: Sort of. I mean, Mina Kimes. Mina Kimes was a magazine. Like the magazine hired her. They all have different stories, but he he put them yeah. on the air more and got got people like knowing about them, allowing them to have bigger platforms.
0: He is a, he is projected. He has done so much for ESPN beyond the actual stuff he produces that he's involved. It's
1: not in. dissimilar to what Simmons did with Grantland, honestly.
0: I completely agree. It's 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 similar, it's just a lot smaller. It's just a little tone deaf to me to just sort of like axe something as important as that show.
1: But that's that's my hope, is that they find a way to keep that thing together because. It's, like, the best part of my day, a lot of days. So, shouts to the Levitard show. Got anything else? Episode 2, Horn?
0: Literally, when when I had a morning routine, Levitard was, like, two hours of that show was very important to my pre-work routine.
1: Yeah. And for the listeners, like, I had been a fan of that show, I'd say probably, like, a couple of years. And then I would just, like, every so often be like, Hornick, you got to watch this. Like, I'd show him a video on Twitter. He'd be like, eh, whatever, whatever. It's funny. I don't know. And then I got him to start watching it. And now it's, like, now it's, like, he texts me. Because I usually watch it. I listen to the podcast, so I don't watch it live. But now it's he texts me with shit that happens in the show. So if nothing else, the show has, has strengthened a bond between two loyal mates. And we're going to write a strongly worded letter to Norby Williamson. He, probably, what's he What do you think his real name is? Norbit? Like from the movie Norbit? Never seen that movie. Me neither. Let's go see it when the movie theaters open back up. We'll talk about it on episode 25.